You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still exist. It has been a while, quite a while. Still just Spain right now. Fitz going to join me in about an hour here. He's got his digital Monday night football leading up to Saints Seahawks tonight. But he'll be here in about an hour. We'll get you through a whole bunch of reactions to yesterday. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And before he gets here, we're going to do a little wallowing because a very sad Sunday leads us to this very moribund Monday. When you ever time, anytime you lose like that, uh, you know, everybody's got to look themselves in the mirror and it just wasn't good enough uh, execution. It wasn't a good enough play calling uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, we just weren't good enough. Cars up underneath James, going to fire quickly. Jackpot, baby! Fields from his own end zone. Great block by Herbert to let the ball free downfield. And he undercut it. The defender intercepts it. And he takes the snap, looking right boundary. Comes over the middle. McCole Hardman angling right. Fumbles the ball at the five. And Tennessee's got it. And that'll end it. The Chiefs with another giveaway in this game. That's three. Because you had a bad day. Yeah, not a great day. Uh, my Bears got destroyed. Stasha's Chiefs ate it. And Chris's Eagles lost to the Raiders, which is something we don't need to get into because Fitz isn't here. And we don't want to celebrate his wins. We want to feel sorry for ourselves. We'll get into some Monday Night Football. We'll get into some big movers after yesterday's games. But let's let's wallow a little. And you could be a part of it on Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nations presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Yesterday, I posted a meme from the Bears Reddit that said, I am a man-woman, and then checked, Bears fan, looking for a man-woman, and then checked, car to hit me. <laughs> that's that's how it felt. Uh, taking a plane back from a wonderful week in California for the ESPNW Summit, and then vacation time with my husband and lots of old friends. Oh, perfect. Flight's at just the right time to watch the entire Bears-Bucks game. <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. 38-3 to three for the Bucks. The first three scoring drives for Tampa Bay required less than 50 yards to reach the end zone. Each of them. Only one possession that ended in a touchdown for the Bucks required them to cover 75% of the field. It's forced turnover after forced turnover after forced turnover. Five of them. They didn't even need Antonio Brown. My, the most enjoyable thing for me was the Bears getting a stop on an end zone on an end zone stop and preventing uh, Tom Brady from from another one of his billion records. Uh, he still got his six hundredth and six oh one and all that. But but there were two moments that I got to be uh, grateful. I guess that we didn't just lay lay down and take it. They fought a little bit, but man, was it ugly. And Dan Orlovsky was on. Uh, on KJM this morning talking about just watching Justin Fields struggle. Well, because he holds the ball too long. That's what he did at Ohio State. He's deliberate with his decision-making and where he's going to throw the football. That's what he did at Ohio State. He waits for guys to get open. That's what he did at Ohio State. These are all things that, for a young guy who's incredibly talented but has not played a ton, that's why he has to play. That's why Tim is right. Is He has to play in the NFL to get these valuable reps for the future. But this is also why when the moment Chicago went up to trade him, no one pretended that this was a good situation for him to go into. The difference between, you know, uh, Justin Fields' situation in comparison to Mac Jones' situation is Mac's got a good offensive line, Justin doesn't. Mac's got a really good offensive scheme and play caller, Justin doesn't. Mac's got 
I don't want to say really good weapons, but he's got more than one or two, and, and Justin doesn't. Yeah, I'm going to agree with everything he said there, but I'm just going to note that on draft night, we all had the conversations about, you know, Chicago is where wide receivers go to die, and Justin Fields looks sad for good reason, probably. And what does this mean for a guy going to a place that has a lot of question marks at both the GM and the head coach position, in addition to a soft offensive line, question marks about whether, you know, Allen Robinson could be the guy for him. But those kind of went away right before the season started for most people, including Dan, who could not have gone faster to screaming that the Bears needed to start Justin Fields right away. There were very few of us, and I say us because I was one of them, who said, I'm fine with Andy Dalton starting for a while while Justin Fields learns what he needs to to read the defenses, read the field, and be able to make quick enough decisions. That was one of the things that stood out in the preseason. Andy Dalton got the ball out of there fast. Whether or not you really respect him, he's certainly not the future, but he could have been the present while Justin Fields learned a little longer. He got hurt. It forced the hand of the Bears, and they sort of felt like they didn't have an option to go back. And I'm not saying that that's the right option either. Honestly, I don't know if it's great for the confidence of a young kid to get put back on the bench to watch. But he is in a bad situation. And if you look at some of those turnovers, it's not to defend him from the mistakes that he made because he certainly made them. But it's to remind yourself of some of the things that go behind what you're seeing on the field. You don't watch that game. You say Justin Fields, five turnovers. Woof. And then you look and you realize that the coaching staff said in his ear that there were too many men on the field on defense and he had a free play. They were wrong. That was the first interception. He got fumble on the second turnover. The right tackle hit, hit, uh, you know, completely let him get hit 1.9 seconds into the play. Second one a little bit longer. He had 2.01 seconds before he fumbled on another hit. Interception went off a, res- uh, a wide receiver's hands, and then the last one was just on him. It, you got to watch the game, though. It, it may be not quite as bad as it looks, but boy, do the Bears have a lot to work on. So that was ugly. That was terrible for me. Stosh, our producer, huge Chiefs fan, that went real well yesterday. 27-3 drubbing by the Titans. They scored on all five of their first half possessions to take a 27 to nothing halftime lead. Derrick Henry didn't have to be Derrick Henry on, on, on the ground. He didn't even hit the century mark for the first time since week one. Didn't really matter. He threw a touchdown instead, which is, which is wild, by the way, because Casey had to stack the box. He had seven-plus defenders on 26 of his 29 rushes, Henry did. Didn't matter, because Tannehill and A.J. Brown just used chunk plays to go down the field. That's why that, that, that's why that team is scary on offense. And afterwards, Patrick Mahomes talking about the struggles these Chiefs are facing. We have enough leaders in this team. We have to find a way. I mean, I don't know what that's going to take yet. We'll go in, we'll talk about it, we'll figure it out, we'll watch the film. Um, but I trust that we'll find it. I mean, that, that's what's part of leadership. That's what part of great teams are, is being able to battle through adversity. And we've it's been uh, kind of uh, rainbows and flowers and awesome for these last few years. But uh, whenever you want to build something substantial and you want to build something great, it, you're going to go through parts like this. It's Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz joining me in the next hour. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. You guys know me. If you listen to the show, I'm usually very logical, very even keeled. I like that Patrick Mahomes has taken accountability for his mistakes. He stepped up every week and said, that's on me. But do you kind of want to see him be mad more, frustrated more? He is so calm about how terribly things are going. Fifth or sixth straight game with a pick for him? The answer is yes, by the way. Right, Stash? I mean, that's just not my way normally, but there's a part of me that's like, 
I just want you to seem a little more disturbed by what's going on. Somebody needs to throw a temper in that locker room somewhere. Yes, yes. And we'll get into that later because I think someone said something very smart about needing some hungry blood in that room. You got guys who won a Super Bowl and went to another one, and maybe you need someone to get a little angrier. I usually am not that person. I don't don't want anger and meat-headedness just for the sake of it, but in this case, it might help. Uh, Tim Hasselbeck talked about what's different about Mahomes. I can't say that I've seen a ton that's been different. He's always been aggressive with the football at times. I think you could describe it as being reckless, but they've made the plays oftentimes when he's thrown late across his body or he's you know tried to fit it into a tight window. I think the only thing I've seen that's been different is some of the plays where he looks like he's panicked and it looks like it's a force. You know, a week ago, kind of a, a fumbled, snapped, unsure, you know, just kind of, you know, wildly reckless with the football, I think is how I would characterize it. But, look, this, you know, we're, we're going to lay it all at his feet, but you know, he, he's thrown interceptions that have, you know, bounced off the hands of Tyreek Hill or bounced off the hands of, uh, you know, another wide receiver. And, and you know, they've fumbled. They've, they've done a bad job of protecting him at times. So, look, we're, we're going to say, hey, What's wrong with Mahomes? But ultimately, everybody's got a hand in these turnovers, but the turnovers are their biggest problem. I agree. It's on everybody. But you do have to wonder if the ooing and eyeing we did about the one-handed sideways backwards through the legs granny-style passes that he was making at some point might catch up to him. Now, maybe that's revisionist history. If they were still winning and he was still doing that to great effect, I wouldn't be saying this clearly. But you do have to wonder. It's benefits. Lastly, just to hear from somebody whose team also did not fare well, but maybe sounds a little bit more like I'd like to hear. Here's Lamar Jackson learning just how bad their loss was. Lamar, um, this is the biggest loss for this team with, with you as, as a quarterback. Damn, for real? I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. But how do you, how do you move on I mean, just move on. You know, they, they came in. They played a great game. I feel like guys were playing good as well, a little bit, you know, here and there. But they, they got the W. Going to go in the next week. Going to work. See what we messed up at when we watched film. Yeah, going to move on. Gave us the cliches at the end, but started it real. Damn, for real? I didn't know that. That was bad. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. A little later, we'll talk about that Raiders win over the Eagles. Just for a second, though. Just for a second. Coming up, Packers are going to be down a huge piece of their offense Thursday night against Arizona. We'll talk about it next in some other NFL news. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz going to join me for the second hour tonight. Monday Night Football Digital Show taking up his time right now. Always cheating on me. Even in our first show back after you know a week and a half off. Uh, you could tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Pablo does a great job of that. Emily Kaplan filling in today with Alex Smith talking about the weekend of NFL action. Good stuff. Go check that out. Speaking of NFL action, news today, hitting in the last hour or so about a couple different things. We'll start with, since we're we're on the subject already of, you know, all of us having a terrible Monday, except for Fitz, but he's not here and we don't really care when Fitz is having a good time. All of us are sad. Our teams all got completely destroyed yesterday. 
And now our Thursday night football is ruined. We all thought finally we would get something nice on Thursday night football. It is the running joke that that night always has the most trash matchups. So, of course, we finally get a winner in the Packers versus the Cardinals. A team in the Cardinals that most people have number one on their power rankings. A team in the Packers that, absent that week one disaster, have looked fantastic. We finally get to see what they look like. But no. Devontae Adams on the COVID-19 list. Now that means we're going to have to see what the Packers look like without their best weapon, without Aaron Rodgers' most important target. And this is what it sounded like when the NFL Live crew today heard Adam Schefter break that news. Obviously, this is a, a huge issue for a Green Bay offense that's been that's run through Adams. I will say, this last week, you saw some diversity Bizarre, in terms of target share, and that's going to be extremely relevant in this game. Yeah, for me, it's just a bummer because you know this was going to be a great game to see who I Green know. Bay really is. I don't, I what just these? don't see how how you can't. they can hang it's not, it's Arizona no possible without Devontae. You can judge them right. without uh, correct, right? No yeah, either way, the Cardinals seven and zero. They got a chance to go eight and zero, maybe even more than we thought as they head into this one. Yeah, going to be a little bit easier. I'm not saying it's a given. Certainly nothing is a given in the NFL this year, but it's disappointing. Uh, Chris Canty talked about it uh, on the show right before our Skolik and Canty. It does take a little bit of sizzle out of the Thursday night matchup, but that's the reality of where we're at with the NFL season. COVID is not one of those things that's just going away, and all of these teams have to deal with the reality and the fallout from what happened. So the Arizona Cardinals had to live with that in their matchup against the Cleveland Browns, and Cliff Kingsbury wasn't on the sideline, and enter Spencer Whipple, their play caller, their assistant wide receivers coach and quality control guy, and they had no problems with the Cleveland Browns. Now it's a little bit different when you're talking about a coach versus a player, but both teams are, are faced with the realities of playing in a, a season that's going to be impacted by COVID. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a case last season, this season. Um, Adams has not been forced to follow protocol for unvaccinated players as a result of his positive test, so that's an indication that he is vaccinated. If he's asymptomatic after testing positive, he would need two negative PCR tests 24 hours apart to play Thursday that's going to be real tough, uh, just timing-wise. Uh, but they uh, they obviously do have other weapons, and we've, we've seen the Packers, as Mina alluded to, be able to work those guys in. But he leads the team in catches and receiving yards, tied for second in the league in catches, all alone in third in yards uh, among all receivers. Uh, so that's going to help a Cardinals team looking to stay undefeated. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz going to join me in just a little bit. Uh, the other news of the day comes via a trade, quarterback trade. Uh, this uh, maybe not one you're expecting, but after the news that Zach Wilson is likely to be out at least two games, if not longer, with a sprained knee, the Jets went out and got some insurance in the form of Joe Flacco, made a trade with the Eagles. The Jets gave up a 2022 sixth-round conditional pick, which can get better, can go up to a fifth-round pick based on playing time for Flacco, who, of course, was already with the Jets last season as a backup under the previous coaching staff. We heard some criticism for the Jets when this season started that they weren't putting a veteran around Zach Wilson, even if they knew he was going to start, even if they knew he was going to be their guy. A lot of people said they should have had a a long-tenured quarterback just to help him learn. Instead, Mike White, who, by the way, I did not know was a quarterback, not to mention a NFL quarterback who was on the roster for the Jets and would be the one to go into action. I will admit that. 
You you at home, admit it. Uh, unless you're a diehard Jets fan, I'm gonna gonna assume you agree with me on that. Mike White, who knew? Uh, well, he had no starting experience, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised that I had no idea. Made his debut on Sunday. He was all right. Twenty of thirty-two, two hundred and two yards, a touchdown, two picks. Uh, they had Josh Johnson on the practice squad. He's been out for for a number of years without playing. So uh, they went out to get Flacco, and my guess is that he'll be put into action pretty quickly as they uh, as they wait for Zach Wilson uh, to recover on that. So that's some more news for the day. Meanwhile, uh, we are also hearing about the potential for another quarterback move, and that is Deshaun Watson, Jeremy Fowler on that. With Carolina, things have changed after that ugly loss to the New York Giants. I checked with multiple sources who acknowledge that things could heat up for Watson, largely because they need a franchise quarterback. And right now, the feeling is they might not have one. Now, Carolina was heavily involved in Watson sweepstakes back in, you know, February and March time before the sexual assault allegations. I was told they were willing to outbid just about anybody at that time. So that's important to keep in mind. Now, Miami, their talks could intensify because the feeling around the league is that they didn't want to bid against themselves originally. But now, if Carolina or other teams are involved, they might not have to. Sitting at one and six, though, still unclear how far they want to go to the finish line here. But I was told directly from a source, Deshaun Watson is willing to consider multiple options here it is not miami or bust now listen i understand that because of his no trade clause you sort of have to word it that way that he would be willing to look at a number of different teams but uh to quote an unnamed source who direct messaged me today it's so nice to hear that Deshaun Watson is open to being traded to multiple teams. In related news, Kevin Spacey open to playing different types of roles. Louis C.K. open to playing smaller venues. Kind of what it sounds like, right? I don't think this conversation should be about where Deshaun Watson wants to be playing right now. But I also think you need to look at what it means for a team that decides that this season is worth that kind of move. I know that there's been... Some question marks for the Panthers now, especially in recent weeks. I know the Dolphins are struggling. But man, that is sure saying something about yourselves and your team if you are willing to make that move right now. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on Watson uh, and those multiple places that are considering him. Coming up, a former GM going to get a set for the Week 7 finale. Also weigh in on that Watson stuff. Would he take on Watson at this point? It's coming up next, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Happy Monday. Good to be back. Been a while. Fitz is going to join me in about a half hour. We'll very briefly touch on the Raiders win. Get back to mourning the losses for the rest of the crew here. Having a sad Monday. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's going to get better here with our next guest. Is going to get us ready for Monday Night Football. Talk about some of the surprises from Sunday. It's our Monday Night Preview. The rest of Monday night is given over to those gargantuan goliaths of the gridiron. Setting the scene for another Monday night football showdown. That bouncing behemoth ballet known better as professional football. Here's the Monday night spotlight on Spain and Fitz. That's right. The Monday night football preview is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. And to help us out tonight, we've got former NFL exec, Randy Mueller, you can find his work at MuellerFootball.com, also the Football GM podcast on The Athletic. Tonight, we're calling our Monday Night Football matchup the Mueller Bowl. He was a VP of Football Ops for the Seahawks. He was GM of the Saints during his 30-year NFL career. 
So we've got two of his former teams facing off against each other. Randy, thanks for the time. My pleasure, sir. Good to be on with you. And I'm, I'm snickering at the name because it is pouring rain in Seattle now. And that's <laughs> apropos for the Mueller Bowl right there. Well, we, it feels like we've just pivoted into fall, looking across the schedule at all the games that suddenly had that kind of weather this week, and it feels like all of a sudden we're in, we're in, in the thick of it uh, when it comes to weather-aided or affected games. The Saints sitting at 3-2, and two, the Seahawks at 2-4. and four. Am I wrong to kind of have given up on the Seahawks after the Russell Wilson injury? Well, I think not only the Russell Wilson injury, but the way their defense has come out of the gate, they haven't been able to stop many people at all. So it's going to be a struggle for them. I think tonight is a little bit of a referendum. If they were to beat the Saints, they'd probably get a little a little fresh wind in their sails, but I'm not sure that can happen. I think the Saints are a more talented team on paper. Uh, we'll see if the weather does uh, change the way they do things. It'd be a good night for the Saints to have Taysom Hill, and I know he's not going to play, so that Swiss Army knife would have some effect, I think, on a night like tonight. Yeah, no Taysom Hill, and you're right. The, the Swiss Army knife and the ability to sort of get creative if the weather isn't allowing your, your normal offense to thrive. Um, so that's that's going to make things difficult on that side. On the other side, I mentioned no Russell Wilson. You think they've, you know, they've thought really seriously about Cam Newton, and is that worth taking a gamble on at this point in the season? You know, I, I know Pete said that they talked about him and to him. I think they're going to be fine with Geno Smith. Believe it or not, Geno's not been the problem. It has been the defense, and it's been a, a, a leaky group at best. I think Geno, although I had a turnover late last week, has played pretty decent in uh, Wilson's absence. Um, I don't think that Cam Newton brings a lot to what they have going at this point. The problem with Cam is it, it comes down to making the NFL throws, right? I mean, I understand the, the leadership and the character and everything that he brings, but getting the ball from point A to point B mm-hmm. is where Cam has struggled, and they can get that with Geno. He can throw the ball. So I just don't see him going that route, Sarah, to be honest with you. Yeah, between the foot issues that ended up really affecting his ability to plant last year, the shoulder that could keep coming back, all of that makes yeah. it a little more difficult to give Newton a shot. And I, based on your answer, I don't think that you anticipate – the Seahawks being in the mix for Deshaun Watson, as we hear a number of teams struggling at quarterback, kicking that idea around. Uh, you don't see that happening either. No, I really don't. I, I, I have a little different take on the Deshaun Watson deal, and it sure sounds like a lot of people think that's going to happen. I just don't know if I would have the guts to put together a deal for Deshaun Watson. And I know desperation is is that, and you make deals based sometimes on where you're at. But there are so many unknowns in that whole scenario, and uh, – I just don't see how they can come to a compensation level when they just can't. You don't know the value you're going to get. You're talking about a guy who may not play this year. Shoot, he may not play next year. And there's so many legal ramifications, not to mention Big Brother, the NFL league office, hasn't said a word about this. And that would make me nervous if I was an acquiring team. The fact that they haven't put their foot down yet or picked a lane in this thing would make me very nervous. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, talking to Randy Mueller. You can find his work on MuellerFootball.com and the Football GM podcast on The Athletic. Yeah, I mean, the the Texans' handling of it has made things fairly simple for the NFL. They're sort of just applying yeah. essentially what would happen if he was on commissioner's exempt list without that being a requirement from the league. They're just stashing him to the side while things are getting figured out, which maybe makes it even more difficult. I'm sure any of the teams inquiring about Deshaun Watson are calling up the league and asking, do you have any intention to enforce things differently if he ends up on a team that actually has plans to put him out on the field? And that's, of course, 
as much a part of the conversation as we look at some of the teams that are interested. You, you put yourself in those shoes back when you were a GM or the VP of football ops. If you are in one of those desperate situations, you're not making that move more so because of public opinion or because you're not sure if he's even going to be available based on what the NFL might choose to do or the rulings coming out. I'm just going to do it on a football standpoint. And I don't know how you could come close to meeting the demands that we've heard publicly that the Texans want to put together anything that included multiple first round picks for a player that you don't know when you'll get him. You don't know if you'll get him. Shoot. There's a lot of legal ramifications here and things that are way above my pay grade in the legal world that have to play out before I could make a move like that. Right. If you're talking about the dolphins and I know the dolphins seem to be connected the most. I mean, here's the same evaluators that, elected to use the fifth pick last year to draft Tua as their quarterback. Now we're going to shove that to the side and put more future capital at stake with a guy that we may or may not get. I just, I don't really understand why that would be so appealing to them. They seem to have a lot more problems than just the quarterback in Miami. They struggle on both sides of the ball. So I just, I just, as a GM acquiring a guy like this, I just couldn't rationalize it. I couldn't sleep at night. And I know he's a good player and, and I get that. Some of this stuff may end up getting behind him, but there's just too many unknowns for me to to throw out any type of a capital that would would put your franchise at risk. And I think that's what a GM does if he elects to to get in bed with this deal. Not to mention you have, uh, you know, the the idea that we have no idea where Deshaun Watson is physically. You know, this is this is week seven now and it's been a long time since he's done anything football related. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Uh, Jason Fitz is going to join me about a half hour here. By the way, November 2nd is the trade deadline, so that's why a lot of these rumors around Deshaun Watson heating up, especially as teams are looking at their quarterback situation and, and, and not liking what it looks like going forward. Speaking of quarterbacks that haven't looked good, Patrick Mahomes. Now this, listen, I've been in the industry long enough now that when everybody was proclaiming him the king of everything, the greatest they'd ever seen, this this deal he's on is, is you know, they're not paying enough for him. This is a steal. He's going to win 11 more Super Bowls. It kind of did have me wondering what could go wrong because it's it's just never easy for everyone to be on the train and have everything go perfectly. But I didn't expect this. Where do you even begin right. to figure out how to fix what's going on with the Chiefs? Well, it is complicated enough there to where if I start, I'm going to have to lay down on the couch because it's going to feel like a therapy, therapy session because it's multi-leveled, right? I mean, you can start with Pat himself, and his fundamentals are now pretty much non-existent. I see him, when I watch the tape, not trusting the offensive line. He won't stay in the pocket. He wants to run soon. And when he runs, the degree of difficulty with all these plays goes way up. I just don't see him completing passes on time. Um, I don't see any rhythm in their offense and really a running game that now has become bubble screens and, and other screen passes. And I understand they're behind 27 to nothing, but it's hard to find a rhythm. In specific, against Tennessee, they ran 19 plays in the first half, Kansas City did, 19 offensive snaps. That's not enough to do much damage at all. And obviously Tennessee controlled the game, they controlled the ball. But I thought it was interesting because I went back and looked and tried to, to solve in my own mind just your question. Tennessee did a great job of playing multiple coverages. Mm-hmm. They played two deep. They played three deep. They played man. They played zone. They combined and played both on the same plays. I think they did a great job of confusing the, not only Mahomes, but the receivers so that their side adjustments were, were all disincombobulated, if that's even a word. So I'm, I'm thinking that the blueprint might be out there and that the things Tennessee did maybe had been done in prior weeks. 
But it'll be interesting to see where the Chiefs go from here. And we're not even talking about their defense. That's a whole other yeah. session. We'll get another Brutal. appointment for that one. But, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of things happening on offense that some are Mahomes' fault, some aren't. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the offense just couldn't get anything going, which then causes him to feel like he needs to fix it in one play, which is where some of those turnovers come in. In the first half, they generated 67 total yards, fewer than four yards per play. They never even crossed midfield, which is where the desperation starts to come in uh, when they're looking at a 27 to nothing deficit, and it gets uglier from there. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Randy Mueller. You can find his work on MuellerFootball.com and the Football GM podcast on The Athletic. All right, final question because we're out of time here. I'm only giving you three teams in the NFL that are your top three right now, and I think a lot of people could go down to maybe six or seven. Who are your top three right now? Well, I think Buffalo has to be in it. I think the Cowboys have to be in it, and I think Tampa has to be in it. And Ooh, maybe that's the, the chalk. Cardinals. That's the chalk. Wow. Yeah. You're leaving the Cardinals out. I'll make it fast. (laughs) Yeah. I'll make it fast. The doubts that I have about the Cardinals aren't with what they're doing now. It's just whether they can sustain it or not in the second half of the season with an undersized quarterback and an offense that has struggled with adjustments in prior years. So time will tell. I'm fine with what they're doing now. I'm just kind of looking ahead and, and struggling with where they might be week 10 or 12. All right, well, I'm checking your menchies for the Bengals fans, Packers, Cardinals, (laughs) Titans, who just put back-to-back awesome wins on the board. So uh, we'll we'll talk to you next time you're on. We'll see if your opinion has changed. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it, Randy. Thanks, Sarah. The Monday Night Football Preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Talk a little bit more about St. Seahawks in just a little bit. But coming up, a big NFL question we want your feedback on. The question... Yeah, you have to stick around. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz going to join me in just a little bit. He's wrapping up his digital Monday night football show. We've got Saints Seahawks tonight. Just talked to Randy Mueller about the fact that's going to be a game without Russell Wilson, of course, and no Taysom Hill. Got a rough start for Jameis. And I don't want to, you know, say I was right. There's still plenty of football left, as Sean Payton said. But uh, through five games this season, they are second to last in the NFL with 169.4 yards passing per game. I think that first week, a whole lot of people got a little chesty about how Jameis Winston's LASIK surgery had solved everything, as if he was just blind before and no one had noticed, and that that was all he needed. Or that Sean Payton was going to fix everything seemed a little bit hasty to me. Uh, but this is coming from someone who's been burned before by a quarterback with a good arm and a bad brain. I see, uh, Jay Cutler. I see, uh, the kind of, the kind of player that a lot of people will take a lot of chances on. Cause when it's great, it's really thrilling, but you got to fix those mistakes and you got to make good decisions. And listen, the saints just maybe aren't that great of a team. It's not, it's not all on Jameis Winston, of course, uh, They've, you know, they've had Smith and Thomas out. They've had to mostly go to Marcus Calloway and uh, Deontay Harris. But uh, tonight they have a shot to uh, improve their record. And, of course, the Seahawks trying to just save what's been a really rough, rough year for them. I think the only two teams in the NFC with worse records than the Seahawks right now are um, uh, the Giants and the Lions. Yeah, the Lions. Woof. That's it's not great. It's rough, rough sauce for Seattle fans right now. Don't forget to tune in to my podcast, That's What She Said, hosted by me, fueled by Gatorade. 
We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. This week, Monica McNutt, who I'm guessing in about a couple years will be running this entire network. You can get a, a listen to what she's all about before she blows up even more. Next week, Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, that's right. Get ready for it. Um, let's get back into what I was just talking to Randy Mueller about at the end there, where I was asking him for some of his favorites, because it's getting tougher and tougher to decide. He did not mention the Cardinals, who across the board and almost everybody's power rankings are number one. They're undefeated. They're 6-0. and oh. He didn't have them top three. And I know he said he wanted to see a little bit more from them, but they've got some very good wins defending their ranking at number one. Week one, they take out the Titans at Derrick Henry. Week four, they dismantle the Rams. And this week, Cliff Kingsbury is out. Doesn't really matter. They still take out the Browns. This is just an offense that's really fun to watch and a team that looks very complete. And that's what Rex Ryan said on his Organized Chaos podcast. They're physical. So they're not just they're just not just winging it all over the place. They're running the heck out of the football. So to me, they're balanced on offense, which they've never been. All right. It used to be this air raid and all that. Let's see how, how fast we can get off the field, you know, by throwing three and outs. This is a way different team than that. Kyler Murray sees the whole field. All right. It's not that he's focused on just half the he can see the whole field now. Yeah, I mean, he's he's lockstep with with Cliff Kingsbury. And they can run the football. They'll spread you out, run the hell out of it still. So to me, they're they're a, a complete team offensively, and then their defense is one of the best in the league. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. We had a lot of questions about these Cardinals heading in. In fact, if you recall, when the season started, there were questions about how long the whole experiment with with Cliff could be. Was he just a guy that you know? I think we talked about certain guys. You know, they had lunch together once, and then and then we thought that that was enough to say that they deserved the job. You know, some of these guys just rubbing off on each other copycat league but man does Kingsbury have this team looking good so far so they are certainly in the conversation as one of the best the Bills took a bad loss to the Titans but they've got a lot of good wins under their belt too that that win against Kansas City feels maybe less impressive now that we're watching KC struggle so much but taking out the Steelers to start and winning every game up until, you know, these two that, you know, there are some questions, but for me, they're the cream of the crop in the AFC, and you look around and and you think that they're going to get better. Um, But but let's let's talk about the AFC, because I think there's probably a handful of teams that you could argue for. In fact, Damian Woody still believes that it's not necessarily the Bills, it's really anyone's to take. The AFC is wide open. I mean, you look at what the Tennessee Titans did uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs. This totally dismantled the Chiefs. You know, they they won the prior week against the Buffalo Bills. They lost against the New York Jets. And then you look at some of the other teams in the AFC. How about the Las Vegas Raiders? The Cincinnati Bengals with a statement game against the Baltimore Ravens. Like, this thing is wide open so far, you know, so far this season. And it's going to take a while to really sort this thing out and, and have the cream rise to the top. Yeah, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we were real hot on the Chargers. Still good, 4-2. and two, But the Raiders now sitting at 5-2. and two. 
By the way, I'm not so sure about the Raiders, in part because they lost to my Bears, and that's kind of how I feel about the Bengals, too. And I know that the Bears' defense can be great at times. Offense gets a couple big plays, and that's it. I know the Raiders were also dealing with the Gruden fallout the day before that Bears game. I'm not completely sold on the Raiders. Stronger. Thank you, Fitz. Talk to you about that in a minute. Chargers I feel a little better about. They're sitting at four and two. The Titans started off kind of ugly, but like I said, they did a lot of things yesterday that would have me pretty scared to face them, knowing that they could just beat you down in the field with chunk plays, even if you try to stop Derrick Henry. And now that he's got an arm on him, now that he's your quarterback as well, I mean, you also have the Bengals. Like I said, the Bears beat the Bengals, and I remember celebrating then because I decided all year I'm going to celebrate every Bears win. Don't know how many we're going to get. And people said, okay, calm down. It's just the Bengals. And look at the Bengals now, 5-2. and two. Still not so sure, though, because the Cleveland Browns struggling with Baker and the injuries. Still a good team. The Ravens, again, like a week ago, we were like, what can't the Ravens and Lamar do? Well, apparently get a win this week. So, yeah. Joe Burrow and the Bengals in the mix. Here's what he said about the statement they made with their win. I think it was a big statement. You know, we're two and zero in the division for you know, the first time that I can remember. And you know, the most exciting thing were the two of the last three drives where you know they knew we were going to run the ball, and, and the O line really took it to them. That was exciting to see. I know those guys were fired up about that. So that's that's how you should finish a game. You start out throwing the ball, getting out up on top, and then the O line finishes it off. Yeah. We're going to ask you guys, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, hit us up on Spain and Fitz Nation. Join us on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Let us know who is the best team in the AFC right now, who is the best team in the NFC right now. We'll figure out how you guys are feeling throughout the show. Another question for you, as we got Monday Night Football tonight, the Manning cast is back with the Manning brothers. Of all the guests they have on tonight, you get a party with one for one night. Who is it? It's Tom Brady. It's Marshawn Lynch, it's Sue Bird, it's Drew Brees. Yeah, you got a goat sandwich there uh, sitting in between sitting in between Sue Bird and Tom Brady. You got Marshawn Lynch and Drew Brees too. Who are you partying with one night? Coming up, are the Chiefs really that bad? We'll get our next guest to dive in next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I woke up this morning asking myself, can anyone explain what's going on with the Chiefs? I have thus far only heard people say, I don't know. There's enough of the same personnel, same coach, same quarterback. I don't really know what to tell you about why it's looked so bad. And then who comes to the rescue? But of course, Bill Barnwell with a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine part story on dot com about all the many things wrong with the Chiefs and whether they are factional Factual? Factual is a word. Or fictional. So, of course, we're going to have him on to talk about it. Bill Barnwell to the rescue. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain. Fitz going to join me in a minute here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by uh, by Progressive Insurance. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Bill Barnwell, ESPN senior writer, joins me on the Dr. I'm sorry, the Goodyear hotline. I'm so distracted now by your nine-part column, Bill, that I can't even speak. Um, you break it down into so many different segments. I just want to start with personnel. It's not one of your, your segments, but that's where I'm looking, is how can a team have so many of the same players and have such a different result? Yeah, I mean, they're a team that really relies on their stars to be stars. Like There are teams around the NFL 
like the Bills, for example. The Bills have a ton of great stars, but they have a lot more depth. They've drafted really well. They've deliberately spent a little less on their top guys. I mean, okay, we want to have reliable backups. The Chiefs are one of the most top-heavy teams in football. They have like eight or nine just total superstars. I mean, guys like Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, of course, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, all those guys. Those guys have to be stars. I mean, we've seen in years past when they're good, man, those guys look great. But this year, some of those guys have been injured, haven't been 100%. They've been sloppy. I mean, Tyreek Hill has played very well, but also dropped two passes that have become Patrick Mahomes' interceptions. You know, those guys have not necessarily been the difference makers they were in years past. And when they aren't those different makers, they don't really have a plan B. There's no, like, real backups to fall back on for the Chiefs. It's either the stars or nothing. Okay, so Bill, one of the narratives I continually hear right now hey, is that, Hi, hi, Sarah. I just came. I slid right in <laughs> hey, like a pro. Look at that. I just wow. you know shoot, whoop, came right in, and I'm like, let's go. Uh, this level yeah. of of excitement just because we're all back together. Uh, Bill, yeah. I keep hearing everybody say that teams have figured out Mahomes. What would your answer to that be? No, Fitz. They have not <laughs> figured out Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs were really good at offense until. Yesterday, and granted, they were bad yesterday. They had a bad game. That will happen. But they were like top five in every offensive category. The only problem has been they've been turning the ball over a bunch. When you can be a really good offense and still turn the ball over as much as the Chiefs have, it tells you you're a pretty good offense. And we have, what, three, four years of evidence here? The Chiefs like didn't suddenly uh, turn into a team that's going to fumble the ball and, and lose 75% of their fumbles. They're not going to get intercepted twice a week. That's not going to happen over the course of the big picture. And when the turnovers drop, which I think they're going to drop over the rest of the season, this offense is going to look just fine. Like, they're not playing their best football, but they're not the problem with this football team. In Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Bill Barnwell, ESPN senior writer. You can find his story on the .com. All the different problems with the Chiefs. Uh, Bart Scott had a, a, a feeling about why he thinks they're struggling. Here's what he said on Organized Chaos podcast. We'll see if you agree. Now, remember, we used to play against Andy Reid a lot. And a lot of times we played against – they were one of the first teams that were one of these finesse teams that always had running backs like Westbrook or one of these shifty guys. But they were a team that if you could ever get physical with them, because the way they were built, they weren't built for that smoke. Now, at some point, I feel like Steve Spagnuolo, even though they've won a championship with him at the defensive coordinator position, has been skating away and skating through by being able to try and come up with smoke and mirrors and now he cannot hide this defense anymore. And I think it's exposing, you know, how basic of a defense he really puts together. Okay. So you agree they're not built for that smoke? Yes and no. I, I don't know that I'm qualified to say anyone is not built or built for any kind of smoke. <laughs> that feels like it's just, it just doesn't feel right co- coming out of my mouth. But what I will say is this. I think they're getting beat up on the line of scrimmage, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They have no pass rush right now unless they blitz, and they've never been a good run defense. That's never been what they do well. So I do think that's a problem, but where I disagree is saying, okay, well, that doesn't preclude you from winning a Super Bowl because, hey, they played the Niners, who were very physical on both sides of the football up front, and they beat the Niners and won a Super Bowl. I think that's been a weakness for them, but one they've been able to overcome in years past, and because the guys around them 
haven't been playing all that well, that weakness not being uh, not not having that strength up front has been more noticeable because they've kind of relied on those guys to play well, and they haven't really played all that well so far this year. So this is what's tr- hard for me, Bill. I, I mean, at some point. I know who I think the Chiefs are, but at some point I also mm-hmm. know what they look like every single week. So at what point do we reassess who we thought they were and, and, and just figure out what this team looks like this year? Well, here we go. We have a seven-week or seven week stretch coming up. The Chiefs have six games. One of those games playing, of course, the Las Vegas Raiders, the first place, mm-hmm. I believe, Las you Vegas Raiders, if I'm no not idea. mistaken. I had no idea. Um, the got first their place last year, by the Bears. five of their next six games are at home. And it starts with the Giants on Monday Night Football. If they lose to the Giants, that is when I start getting really worried that something is horribly wrong. I'm pretty sure they're going to blow out the Giants next Monday. Play the Packers, of course, Cowboys, tough competition. But I want to see how they play over this, this streak. And I want to see, you know, are they turning the ball over quite as much? Are, are they not getting the pass rush? And then I think you get to the point where, okay, well, they have a final four-game stretch to end the season. Um, maybe they bring in somebody, whether it's via trade on a low level, whether it's signing a free agent, maybe it's just bringing in a guy like Terrell Suggs who came a couple of years ago and helped them win a Super Bowl, kind of adding little pieces on the edge here and there. Um, but I, I do think that we're going to look back after the six game uh, stretch where it's five games at home and they're going to go four and two or five and one. And I think they're going to look just fine. It's going to be tough for them in the postseason because, hey, they're going to have to play uh, a lot of teams on the road because they've lost a lot of tie breaking games against very good AFC teams. But I do think that in the big picture, even if they're not maybe as good as they were two years ago, I still think the Chiefs are one of the four or five best teams in the conference at the very least. Bill Barnwell's with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline. Bill, tonight, Monday Night Football, Saints-Seahawks. These are two teams that I don't think are going to make the playoffs. Russell Wilson injury really hurts the Seahawks team that was already struggling a bit. The Saints uh, and that you know new-look Jameis Winston haven't really panned out the way mm-hmm. many had hoped, and that Bucks team just looks unde- unstoppable in that division. What are you watching for tonight? Well, I already got to see Russell Wilson practice his big yep. two-minute drill, which yep. was awesome, and I hope he has a little bit of like a little flourish to it every single week. But to me, I want to see how the Saints play because, I mean, you know, Jameis Winston has been very inconsistent from week to week. He said stretches where he's looked very good and stretches where he's looked like the old Jameis. And I think this is a great matchup. It is on the road, which doesn't help, but it's a, you know, a very mediocre Seahawks pass defense. Uh, I've seen that uh, teams are really ripped apart by quarterbacks so far this season. I want to see if he has that kind of, you know, 350-yard, three or four touchdown game in him. Because if he does, Saints might have, you know, another angle to them that maybe we're not expecting. They don't have, they're not going to beat the Buccaneers probably. They're not going to be first, first place in the NFC South, but can they be a playoff team with Jameis Winston? If they win here, they're four and two. I think they're off to a decent start. Really quick. I just asked a poll of our listeners. I'm still gathering the responses, but so far the two leading votes for the best teams in the AFC and NFC right now are cards, bills and bucks bills. Do you got other takes on that? No, I think Bucks. I, I, I lean towards Bucks. I know the cards are seven and zero, but I lean Bucks. And then I would say Bills. Yeah, I, we're not I think putting the Titans be, over the Bills. I, I mean, the Titans that. just beat the Bills. Yeah, it's true. That's very fair. But they've also had some really ugly Tennessee. losses, so they're a little One more yard. inconsistent. Yeah, that's the thing. Tennessee lost to the Jets. Like, right. that, like I don't, <laughs> right. I don't understand how that happened. Like, I feel like I keep reading the standings and I keep reading the, the, their schedule and I made a mistake. Like, oh, I must be looking at, 
you know, 2013 or something. They lost to the Jets. A game where the Jets deserved to win. They outplayed them <laughs> for that entire game. I don't understand what's happening with Tennessee. They are the toughest team to figure out in football. Yeah, I feel like we are nearing that uh, very early, that uh, circle where you can have every team in the NFL have beaten another team that's beaten another team. Uh, that seems to happen every year because there's these weird wins and losses and surprises. And that is certainly one of them, the Jets beating the Titans. Hey, Bill, thanks for the insight. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, friends. Bill Barnwell, ESPN senior writer, with us here, giving us the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we're reunited finally, and we have a lot to talk about it's next spain and fitz the podcast sarah spain jason fitz finally back together it's been almost you know it's been a full week plus since we've had a show as the baseball playoffs take over that's back tomorrow as the world series is going to get underway will middlebrook's going to join us to set us up for that but we're here now and a lot has happened (laughs) since we last had a show two thursdays ago and we need to get into some of it. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Reminder to go to Spain and Fitz Nation. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Vote on a couple of our polls like at our leader 86 did. Trying to figure out who the best teams in the NFC and AFC are. He said the Rams on the NFC. I can't get there on the Cardinals and Packers. They aren't healthy enough on defense. Bucks might be, but the injuries to the secondary, I can't put them up. AFC, who the hell knows? Bengals, Bills, Ravens, take your pick. It sounds like a lot of us trying to make this decision. Just a, It's a crisis for so many. Uh, we'll get some more of your answers, but... Uh, hit us up. Let us know what you think of the NFL scene right now. We're brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Let's get into some of the things that have happened since we were last on and we haven't gotten a chance to talk about. It. We don't have enough time for all of them, so we're going to do it in a way that I like, which is uh, we decide whether to stay or to go. That's right. Let's start with an easy one. I think this is an easy one to just pass on. The Raiders' success after the whole getting beaten by the Bears and Gruden thing. Uh, (laughs) Stay or go? we got got to stay. I mean, last time I checked, there's some football to talk about here, y'all. We stay on this one because the Raiders look good. I mean, Sarah, when's the last time that I got to see a team actually try trick plays because they knew they weren't as good as my team on the field? Like, (laughs) when's the last time in the fourth quarter I was putting my feet up, scrolling through Twitter? Because I didn't even have to really. Wait, does that mean attention. you were sitting down? I, yeah, no. I, well, the losing streak gave me the opportunity oh. to sit down. You know, wow, things, okay. things changed unaware. since the last time we were on air. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it was a bad week and a half. No, I did talk to somebody though that was saying, "Hey, the the new coaching staff came in and got rid of a bunch of the playbook, and this Raiders offense looks better than it it did before." I'm stunned yeah. to say it. They look really good, and I'm excited to see. But they got a gauntlet coming in the schedule. I think we. Uh, I'm not celebrating. I'm not talking that talk yet. Too All early. Right. All right, Derek Carr, career best 90.9 completion percentage yesterday, best single game percentage of the NFL season to date among qualified passers. Also, Kenyon Drake, game high 69 yards and 14 carries with nice. the touchdown. Jacob's looking good, too. So they're 120 rushing yards, 50% more than their season average of 80 per game, which was 31st in the league. Is that about the Eagles' run defense, which has been bad all year, or is it about, like you said, taking away some of the plays, making things more simple? We'll find out down the line, but the Raiders get that W. I guess we stayed. Moving on. The Lakers are already fighting with each other. Stay or go? Nah, go. Are you into this one? 
I'm not into it. I'm really not. I mean, was it a finger gun? Was it a point? Was it the fans? Was it themselves? Rondo's fighting with people. Dwight Howard is fighting with Anthony Davis. Let's wait till down the road. I think we're going to get more of these bench fights from the Lakers. So uh, angry grandpas can get to the playoffs before we start worrying about it. That's right. That's right. Uh, By the way, uh, Ramona Shelburne and I settled on a DNP old of at least 30 across this year (laughs) for players on the Lakers. Uh, Moving on. Stay or go stories that we missed while we've been off. Uh, Chicago Sky won the WNBA championship. Stay or go, Fitz. I mean, we're go- we're, we're, we're going to stay on this. That's you right. have something That's to say. That's right. I have a lot to say. First of all, I got to see the penultimate game, which was unbelievable. They went off. I mean, this was such a fun game to be in attendance for because everybody was firing. They got to sit a bunch of the starters, which meant a ton of their bench players got to have significant finals minutes and feel like they were part of this championship. Dana Evans hit three triples in less than a minute. Chance the Rapper's losing his mind. The crowd, which was sold out all the way to the tippy top, was going crazy. I happened to be on a flight to California for that winning game, but man, first WNBA title. Kalia Copper lets the league know who she is mm-hmm. named MVP. Candace Parker says, I'm going to move home and I'm going to win one for us. And she does. You got the Vanderquigs, the best married couple in the WNBA who decided to stick around in Chicago when other people left and wanted to win it here. And they did. James Wade holding it down. His family flies in from France to witness it. This had everything. It was so much fun. And then the rally was a ton. I wish I had been home for it, but looking at the photos and the videos, uh, they did it right. So shout out to my sky, especially when the bears are struggling. The Blackhawks suck. The bulls are fun. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Red stars are looking for a playoff push, but nice to get a title here in Chicago. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're deciding to stay or go on the stories that we missed last week and a half that we've been off. NBA 75 is announced. Now, as with every list, there's plenty of things to argue about. We can get into whether Bill Walton belongs and is Dwight Howard on or off and all that. But more importantly, there is a conspiracy theory that Kyrie Irving was on the top 75 and was removed because if you Google it, there is a link. And when you click it, it then says page not found. But there is a link that makes it seem like He was on the 75 greatest, but might have been removed. Stay or go on this conspiracy theory. I'll stay quickly and say all this. Cool. If the NBA, it's their (laughs) list. If they want to take him off, that's their right. Like at the end of the day, if they, you look at the list, you're like, nah, we're good without that name on it. I don't blame them for doing it, even if they did. And if they did, good on them. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Carl Malone slept with, I believe it was a 16-year-old and had a child with her. So there's plenty of things we could get into. Very uh, Elvis of him. Yeah, there's a lot of Carl Malone stuff that no one really seems to talk about as much as they should. I don't know if that would be the reason. It might also just be that they made some stuff in advance in case someone was named. Yeah, right? that's actually a good point. You yeah. get that page set up so that when they make the big announcement, you don't wait to, to prep all the stuff. People are coming to your website to hear about it. So maybe that's the answer there. It's Spain and Fitz. We're staying or going. You want to talk Iowa? You want to talk Iowa? You want to talk Cincy? You want to talk either? You want to talk both? Stay uh, or yeah. go? I'll stay for one thing. All right. Iowa was number two. They lose. Cincinnati's number two. Who cares? The two best teams in the country are Georgia <laughs> and Alabama. Don't at me. All the rest of them are doing is waiting for their opportunity to get their butts whooped in the playoff.
And this is why at the start of every season when everyone's freaking out about every game and they say if they don't win this, there's no chance. I'm always like, well, we don't know that because we don't know what's going to happen. Everyone's like, shush, shush, shush. We need to make sure every, every game more, we've seems seen, like the greatest thing ever. We've seen more upsets this year than ever yeah. before in the history it's of college football. And we're going to end up with the most predictable top four ever. It's going to be like a Big Ten team, Oklahoma, and two teams from the SEC. There you That's go. That's right. Uh, speaking of college football, Ed Odron out after this, stay or go? Um, yeah, we can go. You know, I think we could go. This was expected after the way they performed, although I'd like for people to do their own deep dive into all the stuff that he oversaw at that school. Mm-hmm. Or didn't oversee, as the case Do you may have, be. Like, I know I said go, but like all these stories of him picking up ladies at the gas station. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, look, if you're the head there. coach of LSU, I guess that's your pickup line. He's like, hey, I'm the yeah, head coach of LSU. It's a pickup line for a lot of head coaches this season, as it turns out. I'm, I'm also concerned about all the team stuff and school stuff yes, that he oversaw that's serious and ignored. Stuff, yes. Serious stuff. Uh, but we'll move on. Uh, ben Simmons suspended. Uh, that video turns out it might not have been his phone in his pocket, but either way, he was not invested. Stay or go? Uh, go. Yeah, we're just going to get more of this. You heard Daryl Morey say, this could go on forever. Unless we get back what we want, there's no point in giving him up for no reason. He's not stopping us by just not playing and being suspended. Of course, as Bomani Jones said, sounds like a guy who's upstairs uh, because yeah. it's a lot more awkward for the people downstairs in the locker room on the court hanging out with a guy who doesn't want to be there and you don't want him there either. But the Ben Simmons saga will continue. We don't have to hit it here. Finally, Aaron Rodgers yelling, I own you to a mysterious woman who gave him the double bird in Chicago. I was on a plane. I promise. That's my alibi. I don't blame her. I don't blame her. We've run out of time. We've run out of time. We can't talk about it. I'm so sorry. It's Made It Bits coming up. Uh, Does Dusty Baker make the Astros likable? (laughs) Can you root for the Astros? We'll get your World Series talk next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, CSPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're back together for the first time in a while. Monday Night Football going on now. Seattle's up 7 nothing on the Saints early in that one. Get back to some football stuff. But we got Game 1 of the World Series tomorrow night. Coverage on ESPN Radio starts at 7 Eastern. That's right. We're going to get bumped again tomorrow, Wednesday, and Friday. Fitz, I think, riding solo Thursday because uh, I will be out. But uh, we got a lot to get into with this World Series. By the end of this, you better have a baseball team too, Fitz. We got to get back onto your baseball bachelor. <laughs> hey, at least all it. my teams have been eliminated. So, like, now That's I That's right. We know you're you not know, bandwagoning yeah. based on who wins. I feel like we're just at the fantasy suites portion, and you're taking your sweet time with mm. each of the teams before you're making a final decision. To talk about the two teams actually facing off for the title, Will Middlebrooks of CBS Sports HQ, MLB analyst, former MLB infielder, joins us now. Will, thanks for the time. Of course, and hey, listen, if you pick the Astros to be your team, I'm not sure that would be bandwagon considering no. everyone hates them. Oh, that is a no, fair no, point. No. That He's is a already fair point. eliminated them, <laughs> thankfully. But can't I, can't I can invite somebody back in and give them a rose? Okay, fine, we'll get to baseball. You can. You can do that, but we're not going to do that. I'm not going to allow you to do that, just out of principle. I can't be your radio partner if that's the choice that you make. Um, speaking of everyone hating the Astros, and for good reasons, because they're dirty, rotten cheaters, a lot of people want to see Dusty Baker win it all. 72 years old, back in the World Series for the first time since 2002, which is the longest for any manager between World Series appearances since 1920s and 40s for Bucky Harris, who was a player manager and then a manager. Can we can we root for the Astros solely to see, you know, Dusty Baker get the win? Or do we have to then admit that we're rooting for cheaters? 
So here's the deal. I, I am rooting for the Astros. and wow. uh, And I am, but hear me out. Now, I'm an ex-player. I played against a lot of these guys. Uh, that was four years ago. But when I tell you the fans are hanging on to this, the players have let it go. Uh, you still hear rumblings of quotes from pitchers here and there. If they come in and get shelled and get crushed, oh, they must be cheating. For the most part, the players don't even think about that anymore. It was four years ago. You have enough to worry about day to day during well, the Because they don't want to, though. <laughs> yeah, listen. So back to my point. I want Dusty to win. I want Dusty to win. Yes, for everything you just said, he's a baseball lifer. He won one in 1981, I believe. He was a player with the Dodgers. He won one as a player. But, yeah, as a manager, he lost uh, 2002 in seven games to the Angels. He's one of the good guys in the game. There's a couple old school managers left in this analytical age of baseball that we're in. And Dusty's one of them. And Snicker is the other one that he's going up against. That uh, somewhat, I don't want to say combat the, the analytics, but they will give you at least a 50-50 mix of the old school eye test and analytics. So that's what I love about the game. I will say that that core group of players for the Astros that were, you know, the Bregman, Altuve, Correa, Guriel, uh, those guys that were a part of that cheating scandal, it, it was four years ago. They screwed up. I hate it. I hate that it happened. It tainted that World Series. But I think if they win a World Series now, it can somewhat turn the page a little bit because, look, hey, we did it without cheating. So, Will, how have the Braves gotten here? Because it feels like everybody was willing to just write them off by June, and now all of a sudden they're sitting in the World Series. I wrote them off. I'll be honest with you. You got a guy like Acuna that goes down with an ACL. You have Azuna who had he first he got hit by a pitch and broke his hand. He was in a cast, and then he had the off the field issues with the assault charges and all that, um, that that cost him the rest of the year. You lose Mike Soroka, your ace, when he retears his Achilles. That's you know within the first month and a half of the season, and we're going wow. Okay, a good trade deadline's coming up. They'll probably sell some guys, retool at a couple positions, get ready for 2022. Well, they didn't. They got Jock Peterson. They completely rebuilt their, their outfield. Jock Peterson, 15 days before the deadline. Duvall in the 30th. Solaire. Eddie Rosario, who we're seeing in Fuego right now in the, in the postseason. And, and Solaire carried them through September to get them into the postseason. So that says a lot from your GM and, the, and those veterans in that clubhouse, even the young guys in the clubhouse, to say, oh, Maybe they believe in what we have here. Maybe okay, let's like let's put this together. Let's let's get out there and play some ball and see what happens. And you know, it's almost like a feeling of playing with house money when nobody believes in you. And then they went out and balled out. It was a weak division, so they took advantage of it and played the good as good a ball as the, the as the Dodgers did in the second half. Let's talk about Charlie Morton. This is a pretty wild story. Again, it's partly also the problem with, you know, not wanting to root for the Astros because of who's on the team, because some of them are now on the opposing team, which makes it a little trickier. (laughs) But Morton, Braves, Astros, Rays, right? This is his third World Series that he'll be pitching in in, what, four or five years. Pretty impressive. Is, Is he the secret sauce to everything in baseball? Hey, you know what? He finds himself deep in the playoffs every year, yet in a different uniform. And it, it's unbelievable. He's he's getting late in his 30s. He's late in his career. But the last five years, it's like he's getting better and better and better. I remember facing him in 2013, 2014. He was in Pittsburgh, and he's throwing 91, 92, maybe touching 93. Good sinker, good same stuff. Now he throws 96 to 98. It's unbelievable with the same movement. Um, I think that just breaks down the metrics and the, the analytics of pitching and, and the way they teach things now that he's able to get that much out of his body. 
But, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's another one of the good guys in the game. You don't last that long in the game of baseball if you're not a good guy. And that's part of it. I mean, on top of him just being an amazing pitcher, one of the best game seven pitchers we've ever seen. So, Will, you just mentioned pitching and analytics. And, you know, I was sitting there trying to watch the Dodgers, Astros, and make sense of some of the pitching decisions that were made because it feels like analytics have made it very confusing. You mentioned also old-school management styles from two guys in this series. Are they going to get creative and crafty, or are we going to see things a little bit more by the book in this? Yeah, I agree with you. It was confusing. I, I hated it. I hated when they have a guy, Doc Roberts has a guy, and, and or Dave Roberts has a guy, and Julio Rios, who won 20 games, and yet we're going to get cute and try to trick you with an opener and not start them and ended up costing them anyways. But that was just over-management. I think that went beyond Dave Roberts, and that's more of a front office move that we're seeing. Um, but this this series, I think we're going to see people – we're going to see the Astros have to get really creative after game two. So game three, game four, you know, they don't have Lance McCullers. They don't have that ace. They do have uh, uh, Framber Valdez, who pitched very well in game five versus the Red Sox, went eight innings. That's the longest – I mean, of any starter this postseason, starters are averaging just over four innings per start um, because of analytics and pitch count and this and that and matchups. Um, they have Luis Garcia going probably game two, and then – Maybe Arkady, maybe do we see Grinky? Do we see Odorizzi? Are they going to be bullpen dominant games? I think so. Um, so that could that could get tough late in the series if the bullpen's continually having to cover a lot of innings, especially after a full season. I feel like of that after a short season last year. So um, yeah, this is just the era we're in right now. It's bullpen heavy. It's matchup heavy. And I don't love it, but it is what it is. And I love baseball, so I got to learn to like it. I guess. Will Middlebrooks with us here of CBS Sports HQ MLB analyst, former MLB infielder. To your point, 54% of postseason innings so far thrown by relievers for the Astros, 57% for the Braves, 49%. So we see a lot of those bullpen arms, and it makes it hard to predict because we're not really using just the old school who's got the best starters and who's got the best hitting. And I know a lot of people who do this for a living get frustrated when I say can't predict baseball, but we've got two teams with fewer than 100 wins. We've got the Dodgers out despite having an all-star team of a bunch of Cy Young winners and former MVPs. So when you're looking at this series and you're trying to make a prediction, is it gut feeling? Is it experience? Is it hitting? Is it pitching? Is it managing? Like, what do you really look at to try to say, I can predict something that through the course of this postseason has, has made it near impossible to predict? Yeah, so when I line these up and I look at starting pitching, I give starting pitching an edge to Atlanta. They have three good starting pitchers, Max Freed, Morton, and then Ian Anderson. And if they need a game four starter, Drew, Drew Smiley, they have him as well. So they have a little more rotational depth than the Astros do. When I look at the bullpen, I think I think Atlanta has the edge there. I like those lefties, Mentor, uh, Will Smith, their closer, Matic, who we saw come in and throw a big seventh inning and eighth inning uh, in, in that last game against the Dodgers. Um, and then we go to the lineup. I look at Houston, and I think they're the best offense in baseball. They're the best one through seven in the lineup. Yuli Gur- Guriel is their seven-hole hitter. He won a batting title this year. <laughs> He's their seven-hole hitter. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Altuve hasn't even really tapped into his potential this postseason yet. He's batted 200 in the postseason. He's under 200 um, in the ALCS. Correa and Bregman, I think, get hot this series. So, But what it really is going to come down to for me, I, I think it's going to come down to the intangibles which I think the Astros have a massive chip on their shoulder. They're playing for a lot more than just winning a championship. They're trying to right the ship and kind of bury the hatchet a little bit and get, get rid of all, you know, the cheating scandal stuff. 
um, and that they don't like how they've been treated, even though they deserved it. But that's just how it works. And then I think postseason experience, I mean, that, that plays key here. I've played, in, I've played in the World Series. I've played in the postseason. It's different. If you haven't been there, I was only there once. The one time I got to the postseason in Major League Baseball, we won a World Series. But getting the experiences and getting that first time out of the way, my heart was beating out of my chest playing in the World Series because you know every pitch is the biggest pitch of your life. Um, if you've been there before, you're able to slow that heart rate down and breathe a little bit and realize it's just another game. It, it, there's implications to get that, but it's just a, you still have to play the same sport. I could barely breathe my first game in, in, the, in the World Series. So it, that, I think that definitely will play into it. I think these are two great managers, uh, and I see them even on that playing field. But I think the intangibles and the experience make the biggest difference. Do you hear that, Fitz? He went with big villain energy as one of the reasons. He's just getting getting that villain energy <laughs> hey, out of the way, getting that win without the cheat. you. That, that, I, I'll take that, yeah. villain energy. Well, thanks for the insight. Looking forward to the series getting started tomorrow. Always love having you on. Thanks, thanks Will. Had a blast, guys. See you later. Will Middlebrook, CBS Sports HQ MLB analyst, former infielder. Game one of the World Series tomorrow night. Coverage on ESPN Radio starts at 7 Eastern. Will coming to you here on Spain and Fitz by Goodyear with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more div- driven. Coming up, it's a Monday. You didn't think we'd let you go without some good take, hot take. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Monday, you got Spain and Fitz finally back after about a week and a half off. We're off again for the World Series most of this week. But you got us now, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We asked you a couple polls. So before we get to good take, hot take, a quick rundown of how you responded on Spain and Fitz Nation. You hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. I asked you, you could party with one of tonight's Manning cast guests for one night. Who you got? You guys understood the assignment. Marshawn Lynch, mm-hmm. almost 60%. He already said he had three shots of Henny before he even sat down with the guys. That might be an underestimate. Either way, I think he would either be a blast, get really high, be hilarious, have a lot of fun, not give a F, or get really high, stare at a wall, not talk to you, and you feel really alienated and perhaps a little bit paranoid. Uh, so I'm not sure about that one. Coming in second, very smart of you guys, Sue Bird. Brilliant. Wins at everything. Wonderful, kind, funny, amazing, great stories. She came in at about 25%. Tom Brady at 13.7. Again, the goat. I get it. Uh, but what are you going to do? Eat half a strawberry and sip on one beer for most of the night? I just don't know if that's the right call. He's probably part robot. Like, actually, AI in there somewhere. Uh, and then Drew Brees coming in at 2.2. You guys are wise. You guys are wise. I am not partying <laughs> Drew Brees. Sorry, Drew. Not my choice. Uh, also, uh, funny, uh, Aaron uh, Gloria Ryan, who's a TV writer and also has a podcast hysteria that I like, wrote, watching the Mannings live commentary of the NFL game because I really missed the pre-pandemic experience of being stuck waiting for a delayed flight in a Midwestern airport bar next to two tipsy car salesmen who seem to have a complicated relationship. Oh, my God. That's just amazing. About, just about sums it up. Uh, you guys also... Hit us up uh, with your takes for the best teams in the AFC and NFC. I'm not going to read all of the combinations, but there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 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 like 13 different combinations. The most votes went to Bucks, Bills, Cardinals, Bills, and Bucks, Titans. Uh, the only other ones that got more than two votes were Cards, Titans, and Cowboys, Bills. So, uh, but a lot of a lot of options, which uh, tells you it's still wide open compared to a lot of other years where it seems very certain. Uh, interestingly, not a single person said the Chiefs. Uh, we'll see if they come raging back or if uh, they're done for 
uh, after a couple more losses. Let's get into some good take, hot take fits. I talked about some of this stuff earlier in the show, but now you're here. Let's speed through some of these. Uh, speaking of the Chiefs, uh, here's what Mike Tannenbaum said about them. Remarkably, he had six interceptions all of last year, and he's thrown a pick in six straight games. They also have the third most penalties in the league. So right there, cutting down on turnovers, penalties. But the other thing I think they need to do is trade for a tight end. And If I was them, I would go after O.J. Howard of Tampa Bay because they have Cam Bright and obviously Gronkowski. Them going with a little bit more two tight ends would settle things down for them. And right now, they just don't have great personnel to be out there in three wides. And as great as Patrick Mahomes is, and he, in my opinion, may be the best player in our sport, he needs more help. And I think getting another tight end would go a long way to helping them. All right, Fitz, uh, we skipped the intro. That's how quickly I want to run through these. Is it the depth that's the biggest thing for you? No, it's for remembering you got to hold on to the football. I mean, if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I hear Tannenbaum say he needs more weapons over there, I'm I'm looking and saying, seriously, dude? Like, (laughs) the Chiefs are not devoid of weapons. It's just they've lived off of completing 50-50 balls in big plays, and this year that's not happening. So they've got to be more careful with possession of the football. I don't think they need more players. The players they got need to play better. That's a big part of it. If you go to Bill Barnwell's story, you can find another couple reasons. The one that stood out to me, and I won't play the whole cut for you. I'll just offer up the the gist of it. Soren Petro of 810WHB and KC talked about how they need young, hungry blood that actually bringing back almost the entire roster from a Super Bowl appearance and a Super Bowl win might be the problem. And I kind of agree with that. There's something to be said for how difficult it is to repeat in the NFL. It's a, such a grueling sport. It hurts so bad to go out there every week. You got a bunch of guys that already won one that are all hyped up on how great they are and how they're going to win 11 more. That could be part of the problem too, right, Bits? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, coming in and saying, hey, uh, the the overall drive, although some people, I mean, look at the Bucks, like coming off a of Super Bowl, and it feels like Tampa Bay's even more focused and looks even better this year. So yeah, maybe that's Tom Brady's of... a robot. Like I said, uh, he's that's got that's laser that's eyes, and he's going to burn you to a crisp with his eyes if you don't show up and put that's in the work. That's probably a fair point. Uh, Joe Burrow in the MVP conversation. Here's Dan Orlovsky's take. This dude is a assassin. Like he's just a trained. Killer, mindset-wise. You know, he just, he wants to rip your heart out. And I remember going into the draft, and I was saying, no, 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 you take Joe Burrow. This isn't, you take Joe Burrow. Because he never panics with the football. And Mm -hmm. I think that is such a separator. There's a lot of things that are, when you don't panic with the football, you got a chance to be special. And he does, he never panics with the football. And you watched yesterday some of the pocket movement. I think Joe Burrow needs to be in the MVP conversation. Okay, Fitz. That's what you got. That's a hot take. Ooh. I mean, I, I've been such a believer in Joe Burrow, and I think he's going to be spectacular. He's, and I, I think he's going to grow into an iconic quarterback. But you got to look this year at the guys that are just flat out having equally, if not better, years. Just because we haven't seen it from the Bengals in a long time right. doesn't mean that suddenly he's better than even Lamar or Kyler Murray or uh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen, yeah, Herbert's playing great. Uh, Tom Cohen. Brady just—he's got like five touchdowns a game every yeah. week. Basically. Yeah, I mean, like, let's not turn this into a complicated thing when it doesn't need to be. I agree with you. It's a hot take. Not that Joe Burrow doesn't deserve a lot of credit, but again, you're you're right. It's mostly because we didn't expect this from the Bengals, not because he's outperforming some of the other folks. We're doing good take, hot take here on Spain and Fitz. Remember at the beginning of the year when you said that not enough people were on the side of Sam Darnold really making things happen this year, proving what he could do? Here's Field Yates on Darnold. Don't remember that at all. The NFL made a very, I mean, not subtle, but a very important change in their most recent CBA. First round picks 
have a fifth-year option available on their contract. Very good players always have that fifth-year option picked up because it is, relative to what you would pay that player on the open market, a very, very, very affordable number. It's a great deal. But as of the last CBA negotiated about a year and a half ago, those fifth-year options are now fully guaranteed which means that the Panthers owe Sam Darnold $18 million, whether he's the starter, whether he's the backup, next season. All right. So very expensive mistake. And was Fields' take hot or was your take at the beginning of the season hot? Uh, you know, I felt really good about my take <laughs> in the beginning of the year. Like, things looked pretty good early on. They do not look uh, good anymore. Although I will argue $18 million for a quarterback is kind of a bargain basement uh, price anyway. So, like, that's... For no loss, for uh, no wins, I mean. I mean, <laughs> I a strong start and then a bunch of L's. I mean, boy, when, when Christian McCaffrey's back, Sam Darnold's going to look so good. ESPN Raiders presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet passenger is injured in a car accident, get help paying for vet expenses. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Get a quote at Progressive.com. I got one last one for you. I'm not going to play the cup, but I said this earlier. I love Patrick Mahomes taking accountability. I love him being mature. You got any problem with him not being mad in any of these press conferences? No, I just think that's part of his nature. Okay. All right. I, it was very uh, anti-Spain take, but my gut was telling me I needed to see a little more fire than just this is what we need to do. This is what we need to work on. I'd be pretty frustrated if I were him and that team and those fans. A little more fire, but all right, I'll take it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.